a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about how to take over the world. And we're not joking. Well, this is it's, it's, it's in relation to very high-profile people who have had significant impacts on the world at certain times, but not necessarily everyone is aware of these people. We are about someone like Hitler, for example, which we'll explain in a moment. But these are people who have all plotted in different ways to have huge impact. Keith, I'll let you take it okay. from here. So this is a, an article I've come across by Alfred McCoy, who's back teaching in the United States. He actually taught at the University of New South Wales for some years. And his article is called Grand Masters of the Universe. And for me, it shows the power of ideas. So if you look at what television is like, it's about images, not necessarily ideas. And so McCoy has identified people who have shaped the world's destiny, and yet most people are just simply not aware of this. So I'll just run through the um, people that he's identified. So this is called geopolitics. So this is the ultimate big picture. And the phrase you've used is uh, how to take over the world. His phrase is the grand masters of the universe. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's about people who've come up with ideas about how then to be a grand master. So uh, the first that he's um, looking at is a guy called um, Alfred Thayer Mann, and Mann wrote in the 1890s at a time when America was just beginning to emerge onto the global scene. Not a major industrial power, but it was certainly emerging that way. And he talked about the influence of sea power upon history. What's sea power? Sea power, naval ships. Oh, right. right? And so naval power was going to be the determining factor in the fate of nations. So at that time, in the 1890s, Britain ruled the waves, right? Britain had ruled the waves since 1805 and the Battle of Trafalgar. And then this American writer comes along saying, well, look, we Americans are developing economically. We've got to be thinking about how we are going to be important players in world politics. Therefore, we need a large navy. Therefore, we need to have a network of bases around the world. And so that was the that was his idea uh, that you'd take over that. And the Germans, of course, were also emerging as a major economic power. They read the book and they said, yes, we agree. We need to have more German ships. And we then end up then with the Anglo-German naval race, which culminated in World War One as the Germans sought to rival the United Kingdom in terms of the UK's ruling of the waves. And then the Americans were picking up real estate around the world, such as the old Spanish Empire um, in, like, the Philippines, as a way of building up bases to deny those bases to other countries so as to have a very wide defensive perimeter. So that was the first person to look at. A second one in the United Kingdom is a guy called Sir Halford Mackinder. He taught at the London School of Economics and he talked about the world island. So he looked at the world uh, with this giant landmass in the middle. So it begins with Portugal and Spain, runs through Europe and then finishes in Siberia and the Russian Far East, Soviet Far East. And so he said the object must be, therefore, to control 
this giant landmass. So uh, the phrase he uses, he who rules East Europe commands the heartland. Who rules the heartland commands the world island. He who rules the world island commands the world. So what you've got to do then is to just get the central control over Europe and then move across into Russia. And where have we seen that play out? Exactly, which is the <laughs> big... <laughs> well, no, explain though. Like... Oh, yeah, well, obviously with Hitler, who picked that up, which takes me in my third <laughs> person here, Karl Hoff's, Hofhofer, who had read the book. And after he left the German army, which had failed, of course, in World War I, um, he then took up geography at Munich University and started to work with Germans to develop control over the world island. One of his students was Adolf Hitler, literally a captive audience because Hitler was in jail at the time (laughs) conducting the tutorials. Um, So he was in Munich's Lamberg prison. This was in 1924 while he was writing Mein Kampf. And... uh, so this guy. So explain what Mein Kampf is, because so that, that was yeah. yeah, that was Hitler's autobiography, where he lays out what he's going to do when he comes to power. Yeah, it's an unreadable book. It's disgraceful, none, isn't it? Like it's really, sorry? it's pretty disgraceful, isn't it? Like it, it's pretty racist. It's, oh, it is certainly racist. So say you know he talked about the idea of Lebensraum, the Greater German Reich, right? So he said that we Germans need to move east. Uh, which obviously meant the Soviet Union. And so he got that idea probably from this Karl Hoshover who was following on from Mackinder at the London School of Economics talking about this uh, central heartland, the world island, which is in the middle of the planet Earth. I've got to say, from an Australian point of view, we're on the periphery and all of this stuff, right? Which may be a blessing in yeah, disguise. Okay. A long way away from all the trouble spots. <laughs> Thankfully, Hitler was not a, an Indonesian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, in 1952, Hitler sent a million German troops into the Soviet Union. Remember, the, the war in Europe um, in the beginning was, was a phony war. And then we get the invasion of France and then May 1940, which Churchill calls Britain's finest hour. That runs through from May 1940 to 1941. And Britain's job in that year was to preserve Western democracies, which Britain did. That's Britain's finest hour. For my parents who lived through that era, you know, think it's been downhill ever since. So that was the finest hour. And then in June 41... World War II gets underway big time because Hitler has given up trying to beat the British, who who were never really his enemy anyway. His enemy was people out east, the Untermenschen in the Soviet Union. And this is the ideas from Karl Haushofer. It's interesting how the world is ruled by ideas, uh, even though, you know, you, you've probably never heard of these authors, but nonetheless, they, they influence how we go... Listen to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This week we're talking about people trying to take over the world. Now, that's my take on it, but <laughs> Keith's take is that these are people. Uh, he read a really fascinating article about um, identifying people who uh, whose ideas 
have contributed significantly to the world in many different ways and world order. Is that the way, best yeah. way to put it? Yeah, it's good But way. we wouldn't mm. even necessarily know of these people. No. So, like, the idea behind, you know, um, sea power and navies and building up mm. navies and then having presences all around the world or Hitler wanting to take over e- the middle of Europe and the east of Europe, like move east and you'll win. Um, you'll win favour and you'll win power. Who he stole that idea off somebody else. But, yep. yeah, this is a list that was put, compiled, Keith. Yeah, so this is a list compiled by Professor Alfred McCoy and it's called Grand Master of the Universe and it's available for free on the internet. Um, so he he's identified a number of these key players. Another one is Zebanu Brzezinski, um, who uh, was the advisor on national security to President Carter. So this was a guy who, who was originally from Poland, very anti-communist. And his argument is that the weakness of the Soviet Union, so we're now in the 1970s, the weakness of the Soviet Union is its underbelly. So the Soviet Union in those days had a string of territories, what we call the stands like Kazakhstan, etc., Turkmenistan, nominally communist, but actually Islamic. So he said, what we've got to do is to try to destabilise the Soviet Union. And, of course, at that time, the Soviet Union was very worried about Afghanistan, which was not part of the Soviet Empire. But Afghanistan was a border territory between the Russian Empire and British India. And, of course, British India ultimately became independent in the late 1940s, but it's still that buffer zone. And the Soviet Union was worried about the revival of fundamentalist Islam within Afghanistan because it would then flow over into the adjoining stands, which were then part of the old Soviet Union. So Brzezinski said we should be supporting the fundamentalist Muslims in Afghanistan to needle the Soviet Union. Oh, during the 80s. During the 70s. Oh, and then then into the And then into the 80s. In the end, um, his Afghan moves would help the rise of Osama bin Laden, al-Qaeda and the 9-11 attacks and the never-ending war on terror that we've had this century. So the Russians got drew, were drawn into Afghanistan. It turned out to be their Vietnam, just as Brzezinski had predicted. The Americans had armed the uh, so, the, the mm. Mujahideen, the freedom fighters, um, with um, uh, heat-seeking missiles, which could shoot down the Russian helicopters. The Russians figured, look, we've got great tanks, we've got great helicopters, we can beat these characters, just like the Americans in Vietnam. And yet these people, with American assistance, were able to beat off the Soviet Union. In the end, after a decade of occupation, Gorbachev said, look, we've got to get out of here. And, of course, this was a contributing factor to the cl- collapse of the old Soviet Union. So Brzezinski then had helped build up what we would then call the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. Mm, mm. It's very interesting. Um, after the 9-11 attack, when the Islamic um, terrorists, having beaten the Russians, then turned on the Americans, he was then challenged about the fact you helped create 9-11. And he said, well, what is most important to the history of the world? This is 1998. The Taliban or the collapse of the Soviet Empire? Some stirred up Muslims or the liberation of Central Europe and the end of the Cold War? So as far as he's concerned, the ends justified the means. And okay, we're we're helping to revive fundamentalist Islam, but we're going to beat the Soviet Union. For me, it's a good example about how you solve one problem and you create another. 
Yeah. Which is exactly what Brzezinski did. And then another person that he's looking at is Putin's visionary, who is um, a person called Alexander Dugin, uh, who goes back to Mackinder, right? Mackinder is the guy who talks about the, the world island, this central island. And so he has gone back to that. So we get Mackinder, who talks about this world island. He was at the London School of Economics, talks about the world island. That idea is picked up by German writers, one of whom educated Hitler. And now we get the Russians also reading the same material. And this particular fellow, Alexander Dugin, who says the Soviet Union needs to control that world island. And so we see under Putin the expansion of Russia back into Eastern Europe. So if you like, it's getting at the heartland, but the other way around. Remember, Hitler moved from Europe into Russia. Russia is now trying to move into Europe from Russia. It's, yeah, wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy, Alexander Dugin, is an advisor to President Putin. So in a sense, we know what Putin's up to in Eastern Europe. He is trying to rebuild the old Russian Empire and following along on the ideas we've had from other people over the decades, over almost uh, 100 years. And I've got to say, just to finish the survey of the list, Peter Navarro is, again, somebody that a lot of people would not know about. But Trump is engaged with the trade war with China. The architect of that trade war is Peter Navarro. Now, one of the interesting things for me about Trump is that he's not consistent in the people that he has around him. Trump in 2016 talked about isolationism, making America great again, in effect, withdrawing America from world affairs. Um, And yet many of the people who's appointed actually want America to get back involved, like getting bogged down in Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. And when it comes to trade, he's got his son-in-law, who's a great believer in international trade, Gerald Kushner. But at the same time, he's also got on his staff this Peter Navarro, who sees China as the root of all evil. Navarro says... We've got a real problem with China. The Pentagon would say, yeah, well, we're going to solve that problem by expanding our navy and we're going to occupy the South China Sea. Navarro is saying that's crazy because at the time when we're trying to oppose the expansion of China and the South China Sea, we're giving money to China because we buy their products. Stop buying Chinese products. We need a trade war or an economic war against China. And so Trump has got Navarro on his staff. So on the one hand, he's got a globalist like his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's in favour of free trade. And at the same time, he's also got Peter Navarro, who has been writing about the need to stop trading with China because every time you trade with China, you give money to, to China and you're helping the Chinese build up their aggressive forces. So Navarro is saying that America should go onto a war footing not so much to fight in the South China Sea, but for America to be self-reliant and not have to buy Chinese goods. The problem is, in reality, you know, for those people who use Apple products, for example, you cannot build an Apple iPhone in the United States. It's too expensive to buy to build anything <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> exactly. How does this even make sense? Well, because what you will do is you will close off the economy and you will say to Americans... You're going to have to make sure that we have the trade war. And Peter Navarro was the advisor to Trump. Trade wars are good and are easy to win. Well, they're not going to win this one, though, Keith, are they? No. And, of course, the Australian government, just for the record, is appalled 
at this. My, my guess is that the ordinary Australian politicians never heard of Peter Navarro, but he's the one who's putting the United States on this collision course with China. Surely, surely Trump, I know he was not the greatest businessman, but being a businessman, surely he knows this is bad, that you cannot make cheap things in America. Like, surely he knows that. I don't think he does. I think he is swallowing the Peter Navarro line. Certainly when you look at the fact that, you know, we are currently engaged in this trade war with China, the Americans are currently engaged with the trade war with China, which seems to suggest that he is swallowing the Peter Navarro line. So Peter Navarro is saying you fight China economically, don't bother militarily. We go for the trade. Stop enriching China by buying Chinese products. Just buy more American products. But then doesn't the rest of the world continue to buy Chinese stuff anyway? Exactly. So Australia. Australia looks to China for prosperity. We look to the United States for security. Yeah, but this oh, something's got to give there, right? Exactly. It puts us in a bit of an awkward position. It's a very awkward position we're in. Oh, God. Okay, fascinating <laughs> chat, Keith, as always. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.